Brave Moment is a space to be yourself, to reflect on the ordinary and extraordinary moments that are part of everyday life. I hope we can heal, laugh, share wisdom, and just be brave together. Welcome back. You are tuned into Brave Moment. You are with me, of course, Mali. Today I have my first, I think I say international guest. International? Regional? What do we say? (laughs) Um, Mark Madzinga. Yes. Mark. Yes. Welcome to the table. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself before I speak about your accolades and what you've done um, in your very short life? Um, okay. Tell tell everyone who you are. Um, so my name is Mark Madzinga. I'm a music producer. Um, I direct music. I work here at Events Evolution uh, as the finance manager. Mm-hmm. I'm an ordained minister. So wow. I head the music and media department at my church. Uh, what else? I think that's all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's what you do. Yeah, that's what I do. And who is Mark? Who is Mark? <laughs> Mark is a is a, an introverted lover of life. Um, I am a father of one little girl, mm-hmm. and I love her to bits. I what else? I guess you asked the question. <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah. Um, what Mark is uh, downplaying in this moment is that he's a bit of an influencer here in Zim. Is that correct? To some extent. To some extent. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite an honor to actually have you chat to me. Um, and I suppose let's just contextualize what this conversation really is going to be about. Okay. Um, I obviously have met you through some of my friends. And I think Brave Moment is an opportunity for people to really show up as themselves and really share about parts of their journey mm-hmm. um, authentically and really openly. And we were chatting in the car and one of the things you mentioned uh, to me was about how you are dealing with grief or your early stages of grief. Um, We didn't go into it then, but I really would like to tap into it now. When you talk about grief, what's your relationship with grief? Okay, so I've, throughout my life, I've ever lost people who are very close to me twice. Mm Mm-hmm. So I used to pride myself in the fact that I've never shed a tear. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only time I ever cried was after my high school results came out and my dad said I failed. And yet I had like four A's and four B's. And oh, I remember tough. crying. Yeah. And then after that, the next time I ever cried was when I lost my friend. Mm. Um, it was... Uh, shocking loss and there's so many shocking things that I then got to find out after um, what I got to find out about him after the fact after the fact and funny enough at his funeral Mm. I met Nomfundo who's also a Zulu girl (laughs) (laughs) Um, and she sort of helped me to grieve over that because it was also like a like new territory for me. I I wasn't used to just breaking down. I wasn't yeah. that type of guy. My father is a very old fashioned uh, manly man. Mm. Um, so that's what I grew up knowing. And then now I was like breaking down. 
And then this wonderful human being helped me to grieve over that loss. Yes. And then we um, got close together, got to the point where I felt like this was the person I wanted to marry, yes. got married, and then she got sick, she passed away. So your question was, what's my relationship with grief? Mm-hmm. I've had to grieve those two losses, and they were major losses in my life. And I sort of um, got to know myself in a different way through mm-hmm. grief. And um, my understanding of grief is having gone through counseling, which yes. I did after. My understanding of grief is that it's the process you go through once you lose something that you value. And that doesn't have to be a person. Yeah. It could be a that's phone. That's true. It could be um, a relationship, a, relationship, a, job. a job. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. It could be your part of your health. For 100%. women, some give birth and they don't have their bodies anymore. You could grieve over that loss. That's very and, true. And um, the awareness of going through that process is what I needed um, mm. to heal and also to be able to help other people, I guess. Okay. So you touched on, obviously, there are various levels of grief and various things that can cause you to arrive at a point of grieving. Um, you mentioned Nofundo, who was your wife. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me asking, what happened? So I think it's it's hard to accept or think about it now on this side of it all. But I think her getting pregnant changed her life totally. Okay. So the pregnancy was very complicated. Okay. Initially, she got pregnant maybe like a year into our marriage. And there was a day I just found her passed out on the mm. floor with blood on her thighs. Oh, no. And um, we then got to know that something had happened to her. And she lost that one. And then she got pregnant again. But this time around, it really came with a lot of pain. At that point, she was diagnosed of TB, which we then found oh. out like halfway into the TB course that mm. it wasn't TB. Oh, no. Imagine. And she still had to finish the six months of TB meds. And then she had this skin disease that would make her want to scratch. She would Her feet would get red mm. and she would get these sores and they would be so swollen. Mm. She couldn't stand and she would need to scratch with like, uh, her fingers were not enough. She would need like a scraping thing. Ooh. A metallic that scraping thing. That sounds painful. Yeah, it was. And imagine that the feet are already looking inflamed. They look red. Yeah. And she still needs to scratch. So it was hectic. Um, she had, after that, she was then diagnosed of autoimmune disease, um, which is sort of like her body fighting against itself, mm. where she could get sick with anything and the body just start, starts attacking itself. Yeah. So by the time she died, she had like four chronic illnesses in, oh in there. And it was all just because she her immune system now was just dead. And I remember it was before COVID, but visiting her, it was only me and her mom who were allowed to visit her. Mm-hmm. And would have to wear masks and gloves and all that. Um, and... What really took her out at the end was kidney failure, which mm. she struggled to um, to handle the dialysis and all that. 
but she had other conditions that were underlying all that. So, yeah, that's what happened. So we got married in 2015. Mm -hmm. She gave birth in 2017. But you can imagine from 2016 until she died, that's three years of hectic health challenges, getting in and out of hospital. Yeah. And um, until the, the, the very end where she couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom, she wasn't eating and... Yeah, it was just hectic. Yeah, that does sound hectic. I think I'm, like, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about, about my own journey when my mother was, was ill. And I just kept thinking during that journey is, like, how every day is so difficult. Mm. And if it's so difficult for me, who's somebody who's a caregiver and who's, like, supporting, mm. like, I can't imagine what this human being is going through. Yeah, And for me, I think... That journey completely changed me mm. and it I'm not the same yeah. from that. And yeah. watching what you, you know, unfortunately witness as somebody who's a caregiver to somebody that you love because yeah. it's, a, it's a case of watching them slowly wither. Yeah. yeah. And like, so the, mo- so the grief period doesn't actually start at like death. Yeah. For, in it those cases, it yeah. like, it starts so so early in in the in the mind because you are shifting the perception of who this person has been and how you've known them mm. and then like what you're seeing as the days go by mm. and you know you start mourning it's almost like you you start mourning and grieving the the version of the person yeah you'll never kind of experience again yeah or even the hope that you have yeah, yeah. of the hope of recovery the hope of things getting better it's all just a, a push and pull of like grief and like, mm. you know, um, yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, like, how were you processing the grief before she passed? So I actually think I was much more terrible before she passed. Okay. Yeah. For me, the difficulty of it all was having to accept what was going on, especially knowing that she was a very strong person. Mm. Very strong character. She was fighting this thing. Mm. Would go to a dietitian, and she's told you can't eat this and this anymore. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's only just temporary. I'm not going to accept that. Mm. And even just knowing that she totally loved bananas. She would have a banana almost on a daily basis, but yeah. now she couldn't. Yeah, It's small things like that which messed me up. And being a Christian... I think she was a stronger Christian than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was enrolled in Bible school throughout that process, and there were times when I was banking school because I and I I wasn't even going to church. And some of those instances, I'd wake up and I would just slip in. Mm. And she's dressed up for church, and she has to force me to get out of bed to go to church with her. So she was the better Christian, the better person, the better parent, um, but. I kept on asking myself why it was her, why it had to be her and not me, for example. I I was, um, I think I still am, <laughs> a much worse human being than she could ever try to be. So that process, the grieving before was more of me actually just sinking into a deep hole, which had no answers. I just never understood anything. I just had no hope for 
tomorrow. And yet she had hope. She was hoping to. And you couldn't understand that. Like, yeah. how, how can you have this hope when you're in this situation? Yeah. And, and what's worse is, how can you have this hope in this situation and still not get the results? Because we understand that if you, whatever you conceive in your mind, you can have, mm. um, you become what you think, um, and faith moves mountains and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yet it didn't move any mountain in that yeah. case. So it was hard to just watch her body check off mm. one organ at a time. Yeah. At a time when it should have been like recovery mode. She was getting prayers from some of the most important people that I could ever think of in the faith. Yeah. And yet none of it was yielding results. So on the other side of her passing, I was in a very terrible state and um, her passing made it even worse for those first couple of months. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't Mm. want to face anyone. I felt like I was vulnerable ex- uh, and exposed and yeah. um, sh- I-, I felt a great deal of shame. Why shame? Shame because I I believe that a good name um, is to be desired more than riches. Like the Bible says, a mm-hmm. good name is better than riches. And I've done the best I can, also based on the way my dad raised us. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done the best I can to live right, to do the right things. I've made mistakes. I've had a season where I was clubbing and drinking and all that. Um, but I, having been born in the church and grown up in the church, I always knew how to go back to God and to get my my life right. I believe I made the right choice as far as a life partner is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a beautiful child. Our family was just a decent normal family. Yeah. So when this now happened, it felt like I might have done something wrong. Maybe we didn't pray right. Maybe some of the things I did in my past were coming to haunt us. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an attack that we just never fought back. Maybe there were so many questions I had. And I also just felt like, a glory had lifted off of me and I was now just bare. You know how sometimes you, uh, I think there was a point where we spoke about an imposter syndrome where you start yeah. feeling like um, the things that people know me for, they are now going to know the dark the side of me. Yeah. Yeah. Like the hidden parts. Yeah. The hidden parts that no one ever gets access to, which I believe everyone has a good, as a dark and a, yeah. Bright side, I guess. It's, the, it's always the, the battle between the dark and... And light. Yeah. One cannot uh, exist without the other. Yeah. So now you, the worry for anyone is always that the dark side will... Overpower, overpower the light. Overpower the light, yeah. So that's where I was. And now I felt like it left to myself and the thoughts that I was harboring and the thoughts that were in mm. my head, I could really just go crazy. And things could go haywire. And obviously there's a side where Nomfundo had so much positive impact on my life that I wasn't sure what was going to happen to that. If If it was going to disappear kind of with her um, having passed. Okay. But why, like, the feeling of shame, it's such an interesting feeling because it's usually attached to... um, a lie of sorts, in fact. Mm-hmm. There's a lie attached to the shame. 
So mm-hmm. for you in this case was your was your lie um, that you didn't pray enough, you weren't good enough, or your past was coming back to capture you. Why was shame the specific feeling? It's okay if you obviously can't articulate why. Um, okay. Um, why shame? It's I've always known that God covers for me, that God makes me look better than I am from a young age mm. where my mother passed away when I was three months old. And that scenario on its own could play out in a very terrible way. Mm. Um, I've always been loved loved or liked by my teachers from preschool to mm. primary school. There's always someone who was covering for me. And I believe these people were sent by God. Um I've always been given the spotlight or the limelight when I felt like I didn't deserve it. Mm. And it always felt like it was God covering for me. So this was the first time that there was a long-term-ish thing that has happened that it felt like God hadn't covered for me. It felt like I was now being left in the open. Ah, so that's what it was. It yes. felt like God had left you. Yes. And then what did that do to your relationship with him? <sighs> Initially, it was a very hard one because some of my questions were, does God even heal? Sure. Can God heal? That's a good question. Yeah. Is is there healing? Can I actually, in a church setting, be sitting with someone who's saying they're sick and they need prayer? And I pray for them and believe that it's actually going to happen. Um, my relationship with him obviously had so many questions now. Yeah. And he is not bothered. He's not in a rush. Yeah. He's not going to try and answer your questions. For sure. Especially not the way you expect the answers anyway. Yeah. So he will answer, but in his own time, at his own pace, in his own way. Which, which then creates a bit of a difficulty um, in any relationship what we value I, I can't say the most because people differ but one of the things we value is the interface of being able to talk to someone and bounce off and the energy the, yeah you're feeding yeah. off each other yes, and no, off no. each other's energies there's a high value in being able to engage face to face and being with somebody in present in a room yes them holding space for you you holding space for them yeah um you said something very interesting about the question around um whether god can heal did you ever think like cuz i had this thought i was like you know i think it is even painful now to kind of watch um, one of my sister's best friend's mom was ill mm-hmm. and like ill, right? And it's such a, it's like we we're all praying for her to recover and then she did. And it's like, oh, okay, but you can hear those prayers, but you mm, can hear but you mine. Come to your mind. Yeah. Like when I was praying yeah. and like prophetically writing things I'm grateful for, yeah. you know, one of them being my mother's health and all these things. Yeah. And then kind of just like watch how God can heal, but mm-hmm. he's chosen not to heal. To heal your stuff. <laughs> yeah, like he's chosen basically not to heal in this area and in, in you know, in in my household. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, I mean, I, I think like, for me, I don't think like the question, I think there's reminders of those kinds of moments when you do encounter people who have parents who are ill 
and they recover. You stand in faith for them because I think for me, grief starts, it's a journey. It starts at some point. So um, when when death occurs, it's kind of the next layer of grief. If you've gone through a journey of having a sick someone that you love, mm. there is there is a very large grief journey yeah. and a very painful one at that yeah. um, that not many people will be able to identify with because people will only identify with what comes after death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also a very different version of grief mm. and what you have to live with as you keep living. Yeah. I always call it like death is long suffering. That's what I say. Okay. Because every... Every like good moment, I'll always have like a subtleness of grief mm. because this person is not there um, because the grief, grief is a journey. And I think I suppose in my processing, mm. which I'm still in and unpacking, I always feel like this is just something I will always have with me because love has no place to die. It doesn't go to die anyway. Mm-hmm. So once you've loved somebody, just because they're not in the physical doesn't mean that your love for them ceases to exist. And um, you carry it with you. It is in everything that you do, everything that you think of doing, everything that you see that reminds you of them. It's like a part, they're a part of you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't necessarily think like those questions are so prevalent, but when healing does come for other people, I do feel like, oh, wow. It's like a reminder. Let me say that. It's not necessarily something that's at my forefront, like, oh, I don't want people to be healed because, of course, I would, I do because I also know what lies on the other side mm-hmm. and the journey and how it can be a very isolating journey mm-hmm. to go through because people forget. And yeah. I always say this like friends who have, haven't have lost people. And I'm always so sad for them because... At some point, it's going to happen. Yeah, and when it and happens, it happens, and sometimes it might happen in close proximity because yeah. you spend your whole life not losing anyone, and yeah. they might actually just go very close together, yeah. which is very painful, right? Yeah. Um, and I always feel so nervous for them because it's like the older you get, if you've not had an intimate relationship with death mm. or learning how to grieve in that way, it will literally cripple you. Yeah. You know, it could hurt. Yeah, like it. I don't like it's. It's so hard to come back from, in general. Mm. But I think the older you are, you you short circuit. Like you Mm. just don't know how to function. Um, it's almost the same with how someone will say they've never dated until they're like thirty, and you're like, yeah, like "Ah, you are you are in for disaster. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. I I I see the analogy you're making because it's like there's just. And it's not to say that, like, the younger you are, the better, because I don't even believe that. Um, And I don't believe there's ever a right time for any of this to happen. Mm. But I do feel like as you grow older and move in it and grow yourself as a human, Mm. there's lots of things that you understand about yourself in the context of grief and how you process things. And even though every loss and every death whatever causes grief to creep into your life definitely will cause a new way of grieving mm. and you'll discover something new, like yeah. anything else in life. Yeah. Right. Um, but I definitely feel so like, I just don't want to be around for any of that. I just hope I'm not around because <laughs> I can't watch them go through 
bad because it's painful. It is. I think grief is like, it's painful as the person who's in it. It's painful watching someone else in it. And it's painful being able to recognize that in somebody else. Yeah. Because you know what it's been Yeah, like. I know what it, I know the pain. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah. I, I I sort of feel for I'm sure you know our friends who've suffered a great loss and even going through that with them, I could see some of the markers of where I was in my journey. Yeah. And um it's one of those things that you can never take a painkiller for. Yeah. You can never um, switch it off it's not like there's a switch where you turn it on and off and you choose that now i can handle so i'm gonna open the gate now i can't i'm gonna close it's just one of those um i like what you said about love um bishop bismarck on sunday said something about light which is sort of similar Mm -hmm. that light can never be extinguished yes once it's turned on it can never be extinguished and what he then said after initially i'm like ah but i can turn off a light but what he said was once it's present once it's present and its illumination has taken its effect yes. even if a greater light comes you can never expunge the record of what that light has done 100% so it's the same with people mm-hmm. once they're in your life even if they hurt you 5 years down the line and then your relationship ends yes whatever feeling that they've ignited in you you cannot expunge that. Or even the impact. Like, you, yeah. you know, like I think even we, we all have relationships that have kind of ended. Some on good terms, some on bad terms. But I think the impact of who this person was, you can always look back fondly and be hold space for who they were mm. and the good that they brought into your life. Yeah. Without necessarily wanting to reconnect or anything. Because yeah. the essence of what they brought still exists. Exactly. So... What I've then learned about grief is that where it becomes unhealthy or hard to bear or hard to get over is where you then get attached to that previous phase, stage or whatever, whatever memories you created. If those memories become so um, much of your identity that you are not open Mm. to something new, you stay in the past and you can't even see anything else. Any good that happens to you can never match that feeling you had because you don't have the faith to open yourself up to receive something better. Of which for me, I think that's how God works. Sometimes those people are in our lives for themselves because they're on their own journey. But their journey might actually be a process that you are going through. Imagine the possibility that uh, Nomfundo being sick was teaching me to take care of someone who was sick more than her just being sick. So she was not getting healed. I'm sorry. Let's just pause. We got to pause. I got to I gotta play that one. <laughs> okay. So you're saying that imagine Numfundo being sick. The purpose of that was to teach you how to take care of someone who's sick. Yeah. As opposed to it being... About her just, just her body dying. It wasn't about just, it, it was about that because she's also got her own journey with God, which was about to end. Yeah. And God knows what he's, what he would have taken her through in her life to then say, this is the marker. This is the last day that you're going to live. But in the multi-layered life that we live, that entire process was teaching me to take care of someone to the extent that I can then tomorrow 
be there for someone who I wouldn't have been there for if I didn't know what the process of taking care of someone who's sick is okay. like. So basically you're saying that like, and I mean, I can agree to some extent. I think it's it's a painful thing to... Yeah, it can only be said by yeah. someone who's gone through it. I was going to say, it's a thing. So I'm like, Sha, I'm, I'm hearing it and I'm like, yeah, no, I, I hope to never have to experience what I've experienced to see what I've seen mm-hmm. and to play the role that I play. I hope to never do it again, yeah. like in my life. But you're right, I am equipped now. So I do mm. know better. Even my nervous system knows better, which means mm. I won't think to like, my mind will automatically recall and know this is what I do next. Yeah. But I'm just thinking like in life in general now, when when you say that, what I hear is there are things that we go through in life that are set to help us or prepare us for something in someone else's life mm. and to aid them in that way. Yeah. So like you go through this journey so that when somebody else has a case where their wife is sick. Mm. You can be of counsel, but also you have a real life experience. So you're not just... I can be in there because that's what we need more. Someone who's actually in the situation with you as opposed to someone who's got a textbook answer. That's so painful. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, that's just painful. That's all I've got to say. Like, it's just... Because that means you have to tap into your own pain. Yeah. Because as much as we move forward... And you live life because you are, you, you're living. So you have to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to look ahead. But when moments come that require you to tap into specific knowledge and specific, for instance, like what you, would you have desired during that time? What would have made your life more practically make sense and ease the burden then you you have to tap into that when somebody else is experiencing it because you're then like, okay, cool, let's do this. This will definitely help. Yeah. But it is painful to a certain degree because you have to step back into a room that you probably closed the door on yeah. to access that information again. Yeah. To and use it in this time. It's like, uh, it's like opening a can of worms. You, exactly. You're not sure if you're going to be okay once you've opened that chapter again. That's the thing. That's the that thing about... chapter again. And that's the thing about like... And this is so interesting because I think people have this very interesting idea of what grief looks like. I always say this because it comes from uh, Grey's Anatomy and I love Grey's Anatomy so much. And there's a scene... No wonder loved Grey's Anatomy. Uh, <laughs> we would have gotten along so well. There's this scene where... Um, what's her name? One of Meredith's friends is on the floor in the bathroom in this ball gown because her boyfriend slash husband, I don't know if she'd married Denny, but he died. And so they had to basically pick her up off the floor and, you know, kind of take, cut the dress out of her, you know. And I think a lot of people really picture grief like that. Mm. And that's like... If you don't look like that, then people, I don't know about your experience and you can share, Mm. but then if you don't look like that, people just automatically assume you're fine. Mm. And if you are functional, if Mm. you can put words together and you're not a blubbering, crying mess, people Mm. just are like, oh, okay, like, wow, this person's so strong. Mm. And... I got that a lot. Yeah, and 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 it's so frustrating. I think it's very frustrating because I think strong should never be used in conjunction, <laughs> like because that word is. I think at some point it was 
quarter to offensive because it's like you're saying I'm strong but you don't know what's going on on this end or what's going on behind closed doors though I sort of forgive people for saying that because it's it's easier to say that than to find out I always yeah I always say to people is that I find that people are afraid of sitting with somebody mm. in their pain mm. or even asking the questions that are very uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable to be like, how are you doing really? Mm. Like, and not allow for the superficial, oh no, I'm, you know, I'm not okay, but I'm, no, no. Like, what's the thing that's making you most angry about what has happened? Mm. How has your life changed? Mm. Um, there's so many things that you have to reconfigure your whole life. I was speaking to um, Coco and her husband um, the other day. And I said, death is like a bullet that enters the body. And as soon as it enters the flesh, it fragments. Okay. It bursts open. That's actually what the bullet does. Okay. And so when, when that happens, the pieces that have gone like this, it means that like you have to now go find the pieces, the fragments of the bullet. Okay. So that's what you have to do with your life. Okay. You have to go and find the pieces of your life to make some resemblance of normal mm. because this key part is gone. It's gone, yeah. So you have to figure out how do we function again, like psychologically mm. and physically in the world because there's physically, like there's a person you were living with and, mm. you know, doing life with and there's a relationship that's now gone yeah. that no one else can replace. There is your mind when something happens, you want to pick up the phone and call this person and now you can't. Um and you know, um, I like that analogy where um, there's a bursting and there's fragments and all that. <laughs> the truth is, you can never then patch yourself up the same way you were before. Your, your appearance, forever. yeah, your appearance is now definitely not the same, and you have to be comfortable with that. You have to get used to that. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. And the other part is. One of the pastors, local pastors here said to me, um, like a week after she was buried, he said that time doesn't heal, but love does. And that's powerful. It is truly powerful. And it's time the doesn't truth. Time heal, but love does. It's the truth. Because sometimes you're not even strong enough to go pick up those pieces. But God has a way of encompassing us with his love that then just goes and picks up the fragments for us. And it's really up to us to surrender it to him. And then he knows how, he knows where to find you. He knows where to pick up the pieces. Even though you have to also be involved in the process. It's not like a passive process where you're just sitting and someone, God is not a remote control, but he's a partner in what we do. We work hand in hand with him and he works with us based on what we are allowing. Sometimes I, I feel like even with friends, mm-hmm. You, your friend can only be there to for you to the extent that you allow them in. That's actually fair. Yeah. So they're not going to be there. They're not prophets. And even if they are having prophesied that you need this and that, <laughs> but if the door is not open for them to come in, they're not going to be there for you. And it's the same thing with God. We have to open our hearts for him to come in. So my next question then is, based on what you just said, is... Mm. You know, after experiencing like such devastation, it's only natural that your heart gets closed off to God. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like we prayed the prayers, we went to church, we had the community fighting for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we were faithful um, 
as far as we understand and know to our knowledge, right? Because mm-hmm. there are things that God sees that we maybe we see, are oblivious yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, your heart, it's easier for your heart to get closed because anger, when you get hurt, the first emotion that comes up is anger mm-hmm. um, because you're hurt and it's easier to be angry than to be vulnerable and hurt. Mm-hmm. So how do you open your heart up again like now like practically like how do you how do you feel safe with god again how do you trust god again okay so what what grief did for me obviously there's that natural tendency to close off yes and you're in pain and there's something you said about tapping into your pain Mm. you can only tap into it once you have gone past the point where it controls you. Um, and that's that's a journey on its own. Um, but where, where I was going with my point is that after the process of closing off, mm. what grief did for me was it taught me to let go. Obviously, I had to, I arrived at this point by reading a lot of good books, um, going for counseling, list, opening myself up to receive good content outside of this was before I opened my heart. Okay. This was me just getting good content in. Okay. That is not like heartbreak songs or um, heartbreak movies and stuff like that. Okay. I was trying to watch what was edifying my mind because mm-hmm. you have to speak to the mind first mm. before you get to the heart. That's true. So... By the time I got to the hard place, I had read enough books and understood enough about life to realize that it's not about me. And once you realize it's not about you, you place less value in what you've lost. I don't know if that makes sense. It's making sense in my head. I'm not saying Nomfundo is of less value to me. Okay. But I'm saying I'm less attached to whatever whatever we had to the point that I can't function or I can't move forward. I realize it as a phase of my life that happened for a reason. Totally love it for what it was. But even if I could drive to my past, mm. I wouldn't be able to arrive at that place the way it was. It was what it was when it was. It was good when it was. I love it for the fact that it was good, but I love what God is doing in me now. I love where he's taking me to. I'm actually curious to know what God wants to do with me, Mm -hmm. curious enough to be open to it, appreciating what happened. So I'm not, I'm no longer there. Grief taught me to live in the now, to be present, to appreciate this room and the white that's in this room and the aura that's here and the conversation we're having. Yeah. It's it's everything right now. And whatever is in the past, it's a record. It could just be pictures in my head or a statement or even just trying to relive the emotion of maybe, for example, the day I got married. It's not as real as the emotion I have because right now. It's, it's, it's a memory now. It's yeah. So once we live our lives in memories, you stay in bed and you don't get out. You stop appreciating your daughter. 
you stop appreciating. I remember having a conversation with you about the fact that I always loved, uh, I always loved the pictures of Glory when she was under two. They just look so cute, and it's like, what? I could just yeah, child yeah. this child, but that picture is now just a picture. And it's not the way she is now is probably gonna be in five years the Different. same. I wish I could have her when she was yes. six. So it's the same thing. If you live your life always wishing for a day that will never come, and that includes grief now, that includes the people that we had in our past, then you're going to fail to appreciate the person sitting next to you on a flight and they probably have something to share with you that's going to shape your future. So that is what helped me to open my heart again. By the time I got to that realization, I realized that my heart probably has a better experience ahead in the future somewhere. That's a difficult thing to like come to though. And I mean, I can, I can commend how, so what I do know from my own experience is that grief definitely makes you more present. Um, It definitely makes you more compassionate. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely makes you like, you don't delay in spending the time with the people and seeing the people and capturing the memories Mm -hmm. because you know that like at any given point it could end like it could just be gone and that could become a memory yeah um and so it it definitely changes the dna of the person i understand Mm -hmm. that and i agree what i'm just trying to like process as you're speaking is about the whole your heart kind of knows that the future is better. How does it know that? Like, I don't know that. Like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that. Okay. And I'm not to say that, like, my best days are behind me. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think to say that, like, I know that I won't have a love like that. Okay. Ahead of me. Okay. Like, I I don't, I won't, that's not replaceable. Okay, so... How way I would agree with you and to the extent I would agree with you is where we had the analogy of light. Yeah. Where if a if a light has lit up a room, even if you turn it off, mm. the impact that it's done to the room can't be expunged. Yes. I agree that if we're talking about love, you can't replace that love in its context. Yes. So okay. you can't go and take it out of that context and put a different love. Got you. But in there has to be, now. yeah, in this context now, there has to be a love, a, an appreciation. You have to have a relationship with your past that's healthy enough to help you learn from it as opposed to Stay just, in it. yeah, it's not like a movie that you just sit and watch. It's a, it's cool. It's tools. So it it's gives tools. you your past yeah. tools it, to It gives you tools. So how I know that, um, well, I now recently got remarried. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, we're going into the white wedding very soon. I know. I'm going to be a guest. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm right. inviting myself. There's something that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so how I know that that love is going to be better than the past is because there's stuff that I've learned from there that I'm going to do better there's stuff that I used to do that I won't do because they sort of messed things up back then. Got you. So my relationship with the past is a friendly relationship. It's a help, let's help each other relationship as opposed to how can I have you back again? 
It's more of how can you help me move forward? How can we work together so that what we are working into actually becomes better? So I don't, my assurance of the future being better is not from having gone there to see what it looks like. Yeah. But it's having been where I was and knowing that I am a better person now because of it. And because I'm a better person, the relationships I'm going to have, my wife now is going to enjoy a better version of me because yeah. of Nomfundo. Yes. And I appreciate Nomfundo for that. Even yeah. though I might not go and impose that appreciation on the next person, yes. I know that she will never see the person I was when I was with Nomfundo. But she now gets to enjoy a better me. And obviously, there's the side where if you're still having to choose someone, having been like divorced, having broken up with someone, having lost... Lost a job. Yeah. How do you know that you're going to get a better one? For me, it's a it's a God thing. If you trust in yourself, you always... Fail. Fail. Yeah. You mess yourself up before you even get out of bed. So there has to be a trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him acknowledge God mm. acknowledge the fact that this life thing I can't do it without God and if I have God I have everything and what God does for me I, my understanding of God is a bit different from the regular uh, I don't want to go into the details of it but for me it says in Matthew that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Mm -hmm. When you have a pure heart, you can see God in anything. You can see God in a person, yeah. in a voice, in a child, in a tree, in a lizard, in a sunrise, sunset, in a sickness, in a cancer, in, in a, a death. Sickness. You can see God in there because your heart is pure. You're not going in there thinking, why me? Um, what did I do to, the, to deserve this? Um, what's really happening here? Mm. Who's lawyering me? Uh, who's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because okay. that's the other side. Once you get into a dark place concerning anything, mm. you can be certain that whatever you're going to conceive out of there is darkness. But if you are in a pure place and you're in a God place, a love place, um, love covers a multitude of sins. So whatever is supposed to look terrible, Whatever is supposed to look bad, just because there's a love that's been sprinkled on it, it looks better than it is. So there's so many people that are going through stuff, going through terrible things. Mm. But the moment love comes to encompass them, mm. they look better than they are meant to look. That's what God has done for me. That thing that I was talking about, yeah. we have messed up in so many situations and times where... I should be taken out by this thing or my reputation should go terrible. Mm. But God has a way of covering it up yeah. and just making me look good. So I'm hidden in Christ. When people see me, when they look at me, they're, they're not seeing Mark. Because if you see, if you saw me for what I am, mm. that imposter syndrome thing, it then just erupts because I do have a dark side. But my dark side is actually hidden in God and I've surrendered it to him. Mm. He knows what he's doing with it. For I'll give you an example for Paul. Paul was this amazing um, apostle of mm -hmm. God. He would receive so much revelation from God and all that. But he says that a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So there was something yeah. that was put in his flesh just so that he doesn't get exalted by the measure of the revelations, according mm -hmm. to what he says. There was something that was put in his life just to keep the threshold, just so that he's not getting puffed up. Because for the devil... 
there was no threshold. There was no thorn in his flesh. So at that point where he was told that you're the most beautiful thing, he's like, no, I'm going to be like the most high. I'm going to be like God. I can dethrone this man. I can have all this because I, I've got it in me. So there are some things that are put in to just buffer you and just keep you, you know, at a normal place where That's you're not then getting puffed up. So once you realize that this thing is just a thorn in the flesh, but his grace is sufficient for me. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Mm. And it's my weakness that he needs so that he can come in and swoop in and save the day. So that's what God does for me. He's, he comes in to save the day on a daily basis, yeah. whether it's here at work or it's me producing music for some of the artists here. It ends up just looking a bit better than it is. And sometimes I sit at home and think, ah, why are they saying I'm the best pianist in Zimbabwe? It doesn't make sense to me. It totally doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because knowing myself, I know myself. So I know I'm not yet there. But for some reason, God puts an extra sprinkling of grace, love, favor on you. The moment you decide to give him the glory, it's not about me. Mm. It's about him at the end of the day. So even the grief process I've gone through mm. and how I've come out on the other side, it was never about me. It was always about him and the work that he needs me to do. He needs me to be a vessel that's shaped and prepared enough for whatever he wants to do. So I'm available to him. And my availability to him demands that he keeps me safe, demands that he keeps me going, demands that I don't fall or get taken out by the battles I go through. Mm. So when I'm in a battle, I know he's got my back. I know he's going to see me to the other side because I'm here for him. Mm -hmm. I hope that You're here to serve. Yeah. No, it does. It was a a mouthful and it was... I think the interesting part is just to hear about how, you know, even when your heart was broken, how you transitioned yourself back into a place where your heart had to be open again. Mm -hmm. And that was basically by consuming. You were saying that, you know, the battlefield is the mind. So Mm -hmm. you have to take care of the mind first, but you have to be very mindful and intentional about what you are putting into the mind mm. so that eventually your spirit and your heart can be open. Yeah. Um, and I just love that for you and your journey, um, that God has been able to be so real and at the center and really carry you through the the process of from, I suppose, initial, like I always say, like it's like you're in a fire, you are set alight mm. yourself. Yeah. The initial grief stages is like you're on fire, mm-hmm. right? Up until the point where, you know, you can kind of get through each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to a point where you can look back and be like, I can't believe I made it out that year. Yeah. And then another one. And then you're like, okay, cool. And then when the moments of grief will come, because they do come and because you're a human being and there are moments that will remind you that this person isn't here Mm -hmm. and you will wish that, oh, I wish they could have seen this or had this experience with me. But I think you also just not captive to it. Mm. And I liked what you said about how your past is the past. So you can't sit there and keep rewatching because you're living in that era and you're missing everything that's happening right now. And one of the things I always said when my mom was sick is that, like, my sister and I went through quite a lot in our early 20s. I mean, she's six years younger than me. So she was a lot younger. I was kind of in, like, early, mid-20s. And I think for me, when I moved to Cape Town and the community that I 
had in Cape Town, even though I had moved probably about nine months before my mom died. Okay. So not long at all. In fact, well, maybe I had moved. Let me say I had moved a year before that. My mom moved not too long after to come stay with me. Okay. And the community said that God had really orchestrated. Mm. And I was always so grateful to be able to have the ability to see his hand. Mm. So as as overwhelming as like the whole process of like, I've started a new job. Mm. My mother's like terminally ill. Mm. She's coming. I have to find doctors. All of these moving parts and big decisions I have to make from like the age of like 26 and whatever. Mm. Um, I always thought each day I'm kind of at my end. Like every day, yeah, there yeah. was never a day where I felt like I can breathe. Today. Mm, yeah. Every day I woke up, I, I was suffocating okay. till the moment I went to sleep. I didn't know how every day was happening and how I was making it through. Mm. But I remember like probably I think a week after she passed and we'd done the, you know, the funeral. And I remember just having a moment where I could see God's hand and how he orchestrated, even from a work perspective, the people and mm. the team that I was placed in, okay. that if I had still stayed in Joburg, within the first been. four months, I would have lost my job. Mm. I wouldn't have even had any support. Okay. And so I think like, I think I was always so grateful to be able to see God's hand in keeping me, even though the outcome wasn't my desired outcome. Mm. And I was grateful to be able to see that because it meant that I could still have some relation to him. Mm. Um, and I didn't completely cut him off, if that yeah, makes sense, yeah, right? Yeah. And as much as I personally was like, okay, well, I'm not going to church. I'm done praying, whatever. Mm. It was very fascinating because I was sitting, I remember sitting in a car with a friend of mine. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you've said you're done with God. But like the whole time we've been sitting here, you've been playing gospel. And I couldn't explain it. Um mm. And, and it almost felt like for me, I had nowhere else to run Yeah. because there was nothing else that was going to, and I mean, for me, I drank so much after my mom died. Okay. I don't think I'd ever like drank that much. I drank so much and it was like, and it was so interesting because it didn't necessarily numb any pain. Yeah. But I think like what happened for me was that I just didn't care about myself anymore. Mm. I had no like, I just didn't care. Like I didn't care whether yeah. I lived or died or like, I didn't care. Yeah. It was basically like, so, and I remember like kind of one of the days catching myself and being like, oh my God, this house is on fire mm. and the girls are going to die. Like as in me and my sister. Okay. The girls are in it and they're going to die. And like both of us are kind of on fire individually. Mm. And I had to think, okay, cool. Well, this is, this has to stop somewhere. Mm. And I remember just thinking, okay, cool. I've got to like, I've got to, I've got to turn it down because we've got to stay alive. Like, you know, like, I don't know how we've kind of made it these past few months, but like now I've got to be very intentional because if we keep going this way, mm. we're not going to, like, our lives are literally going to start falling apart completely, yeah. you know? Um, and I don't know what was the thing that made me kind of, like, stop in my tracks to be like, hey, you've got to stop. Like, this is where you end up killing yourself, even mm. though that very much was my intention. Like, okay. I just, I didn't even, like, you know, I didn't care. Like, I, I you know, I'd... I'd 
I was very reckless with myself. Mm. Um, like I just, I didn't, I didn't care. Reckless is actually interesting because it's like reckless in what context? Because I mean, reckless, you can kind of think of many different things, but reckless in the sense that I drank mm. probably I'd say out of seven days, like maybe five days. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I would come back from work, drink, go back to go to sleep. Like it was just like, that's what I was doing. Mm. Um, and I mean, I don't really have a high tolerance of alcohol. So when I say drink, I mean, I mean like if two glasses would get me drunk, I was probably doing four. Wow. So like. You're getting I'm, double drunk. Yeah. So like <laughs> I was making sure I'm passing out. Because the thing is, that's the thing about that massive kind of pain. You're trying to like. You're trying to make it go away. Mm. And the thing is, it's inside of you. You are yeah. carrying it in your cells. Yeah. It's not something that you can pick up and put aside yeah. and then pick it back up when you feel like you have enough strength. Yeah. And so it was like, if I have to do my whole day, do life, like literally go to work, be a human who's functioning, who has to show up at her job, whilst I feel like I'm dying, mm. then when I get home, I need to switch it all off completely. Okay. And then, like, sleep and then, mm. you know, wake up. Um, Someone I, said pain demands to be felt. It does. No, but that's the thing. It yeah. really does. And I think the, that was, like, my numbing period, I would say. Okay. Um, it didn't last very long. I think probably, I'd say about four or five months. Okay. And then after that, it kind of was like, I just had a lot of other things going on. And I didn't have room to start processing the grief. Because mm. I had to kick into, okay, you're in charge now. You have to make executive decisions about a lot of different things. Mm. And now, like, start thinking, start making the decisions and, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I stepped into that mode. And that mode for me is very comfortable. Okay. It's like, I know how to make things work. I know how to... Crisis. I'm mm -hmm. the best person you want. Oh, really? Okay. I'm the best person you want beside you because I will make it work. I will. <sighs> I make things happen, and I think thoroughly, and you know, and I you will not see an ounce of panic. Okay. Even if I am losing my mind. Wow. Um. So I am the best person you want beside you in okay. a crisis. Okay. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I've got this. Um, and so that was obviously easy for me. I think the hardest part for me in the grief process um, was the feeling part. Mm. Um, going through what I went through whilst my mom was sick taught me how to heavily dissociate my emotions. Okay. So like I can speak about a painful thing, but mm. you'll never, it'll never seem like it's a painful thing to you okay. because I have such high composure okay. and like I've learned how to dissociate like okay. I can tell you this has hurt me okay. and this is painful and my heart is broken. Okay. You will not bear witness to the heartbreak. Okay. It's not something I'm necessarily proud of. It's just a tool that I had to pick up at that point mm. to stop myself from falling apart. And I was afraid that if I did fall apart, I would never come back up. Mm. Like, you know, when the pain, you know that your feeling is overwhelming. Yeah. That you won't come back. Like if I let this in. Mm. It will surely kill me. Like okay. it, I will not come back from this. It will be like a hole that will, you know. And I think it was necessary for a time, 
But I think it became very difficult because what that meant is that, and this is what happens a lot with pain and like any experience that you are grieving mm. is that if you don't go through it, like we were talking the other day, it's like you have to go through it. Yeah, There's no way around it. You can try hop over it. You can try run around it. At the end of the day, you take yourself everywhere you go, mm. which means you take the total sum of your experience with you. Yeah. So even the thing that happened to you when you were five, the mm. thing that happened to you when you were 25, the thing that happened to you when you were 30, mm. if it is not resolved in you, yeah. you are taking it with you to that next job, to that next relationship, True. to that next marriage, mm. whatever it is, right? Yeah. And you may not be aware of it in a conscious level, mm. but it operates so deeply that it even, like, it's in your cells. Like, mm. it, it, it's, it's trauma of any sort is always stored in your body mm. and in your subconscious. So yeah. even when you don't know, which is why people don't know their triggers. Yeah. Which is why, like, when they go to therapy, that's when they learn, oh, I was triggered by this. This mm. is why I responded like, like this, this yeah. to that situation. Um, and so I think there are definitely tools that you require to stay alive, to survive. Yeah. But then there has to come a point and a shift in yourself where you're like, I'm no longer trying to survive. I'm trying to be... I'm trying to be alive and I'm trying to thrive and I'm trying yeah. to really enjoy mm. the life that I have. Yeah. Because after you survive, you have to fight to survive. And then you, in the process of all of that, you're building a life. Yeah. And, but you're not enjoying the life because mm. you're still in survival mode. Mm. And so I think it's so important, even through the grief process and identifying the things for yourself of how to like kind of, reconnect yourself to your emotions because that's what I'm in the process of doing okay. is like being able to not shove it down inside of me because it does come up it, and it comes up at probably the most inopportune mm. times and um, I think when you've had enough practice you learn how to dial it all down and shove it back because you're like it's not appropriate but then there are times where you actually can't because you've been doing that for too long mm. that your emotions pain demands to be felt mm, come spilling they literally felt. come spilling out of you and you're like this person doesn't know me like that why yeah. am i doing this like oh my god this is so embarrassing and and you have all these multiple feelings yeah but it's because you you're living in survival you're living in a time and a space that served you mm. and it does serve you i think i think we do tend to survive a lot of things that we go through in life but the trick is to survive that thing but not to survive your life. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. like your life. To separate you, the life from the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you, you do survive that thing, but mm. that is not the total sum of who oh, you are. Yeah. It is part of your journey. And I think it's important for you to own it. Mm. And, and owning it doesn't have to be speaking on it at a podcast or speaking at it at all. But it has to be that when you walk into the next scenario, the next relationship, the next job, the next uh, friendship that you're building, mm. that that part in itself mm. isn't infringing on, on what you're building, yeah. you know? Yeah, and and I think, like, that's the part of grief that, like, I think people don't really register is that you have to move out of that yeah. painful, I can't breathe, I'm going to die part mm. to get to the part where it's like, it will always carry pain because you love this person. Yeah. Um, and because it also changed who you were yeah. because there's a part of you now that doesn't exist mm. and you're a new person. Yeah. 
Mm. And the reconciliation of who you are now post what's happened to mm. you. Um, there's a really beautiful thing I recently saw. Um, Jim Carrey made a speech. I, I can't remember. It was at a, I think at a university. Mm. And I saved it on my phone. But he basically says in this thing is that life doesn't happen to you. It mm. happens for you. Mm-hmm. And I thought I that line that. was so powerful. And I saved it and I was like, I need to, I need to watch this like over and over again because like right now I'm going through a very big life transition for myself. Okay. And I think it's easy for me to also fall into a grief of like, oh my God, my whole life is changing mm-hmm. and I'm not in the driver's seat. Like I didn't make these decisions and it's happening. And there's been a lot of grace, I think, because I have been very together acknowledging what's happening mm. but not falling apart which okay. is very like weird mm. right it's like you should panic a little bit yeah. or, you know um and for me right now i think and you know i mean i just lost my job okay. so for me right now and, and it has multiple implications for my life and the city that i live in and all these things and there's massive changes that are like kind of ahead of me but from the moment that that happened there was almost like a stillness in me just knowing that things were going to work out the way that they should and maybe not the way that like i would have envisioned them or i would have had them mm-hmm. and there 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 was i guess or maybe it will be a part of me that does question why this way and not another way mm-hmm. um but i also was just thinking when i read when i saw that thing about life happens for you for me, it was like, okay, maybe this is the opportunity that I get to pivot my whole life mm. and start living the life of my dreams. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that from the beginning, it'll be easy. Yeah. From the beginning, it has to be, you have to dig deep and you have to feel some sense of loss to okay. start a new, yeah. um, you know, like a new career, a new life, like mm. anything new requires courage mm. and, and I don't, it comes with a loss of something yes yeah. exactly and so like i think that for me is the thing that i'm really trying so hard to focus on right now and as opposed to grieving the life that i have lived okay um and like in the city that i've lived in that i love very much okay and but i don't know what's in store for me i don't know what's ahead of me literally like no idea but then what if this is the pivot that I needed to get to the place where I make the decisions that literally transform my life yeah. for the better and are more fulfilling. Like, mm. you know, I am I start doing the thing that brings me joy. Mm. And in turn, then, you know, I always feel like people at the center need to always consider themselves. And it sounds like wait for me i'll get to it it sounds very selfish but like why we choose to do the healing work for ourselves is because it heals our community Mm. so when i have healed this i operate differently in my community i hold space differently for my people yeah i speak differently to my people Mm -hmm. and in turn it does that ripple effect Mm. but it has to start with you yeah right it starts with the individual and so the same thing with joy and self-care and self-love is mm. that if I don't know how to love myself, mm. there is not another person who's going to know how to love me. Yeah. Right? Because I have to model this in me. Yeah. And so it's all of that. So it's 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 basically that as in I have to have purpose 
have love, mm. have um, fulfillment, have joy. Yeah. To be able to really give it off to others. Do I, yeah. Like it has to live yeah. in me. And you know. And somehow we we think that being sad or embracing your sadness, embracing your your darkness. Yeah. Helps you to attract love or attract um the opposite or to attract uh what comes to help you. Sometimes in trying to get help um where we are in problems, we want to own our problems so much that we are not we are not appreciating the side where we are perpetuating an unhealthy cycle in the community. Like what you're talking about where I actually truly believe in wellness for the individual and being healthy as an individual so Mm. that you can be of use to others, Mm. even to yourself. So you can serve. Yeah. You can't be of use to others. Jesus wouldn't have been able to uh, rescue us if he wasn't God. He wouldn't have been able to save us if he wasn't blameless. Not that we have to be blameless, but there has to be a certain level of you being fully recharged. That's why he used to take time to go and pray by himself Mm. because he had been so overwhelmed by people's problems Mm. that he needed to be on his own Mm. and talk to his father Mm. and be able to tell his father, this is now overwhelming. It's Mm. now too much for me. Please take it away. But if you want me to still go ahead, I'm going to go ahead. Mm. So there has to be that um, retreat from everything to fully charge, to fully be able to um, um, be useful. Because mm. at the end of the day, we even the ones who serve well, the ones who are very compassionate, mm. they are not compassionate 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> they need to sleep. It's natural. You need to sleep. You need to take care of your body. If you're not working out... You need to rest. Yeah, you need to rest. If you're not doing any form of uh, reading, mm. your mind is messed up. We know that. <laughs> There's no running away from it. If you're not a good reader, find an audiobook. Mm. Find a way to get good content in mm. so that you're actually useful to humanity. There's so many people out there who are not useful to us because they are so caught up in their problems. Mm. They're so caught up in it. They are taking, they are spending more time with their problems than they're spending time with stuff that's adding health to them. So, I understand and I appreciate what you were talking about um, after the loss of your mom. Sorry about that. Um, where you were saying um, you then were a bit reckless because I was also, I also went through a season where I was totally crazy going, mm. doing the, the most. Mm. And sometimes it's a subconscious desire to actually die or kill yourself. And it might not be a physical, I'm going to die, mm. but you're trying to kill everything that you can kill about yourself. 100%. And that's a very unhealthy place to be. And what we don't realize by not working through stuff, by not working on ourselves, by allowing the weeds in our minds to grow, mm. is we are digging a deeper hole than trying to help us. I don't understand how this happens in the human makeup where we assume that it's possible to get positivity out of doing the negative. It's actually so easy to sit and be so anxious about, I've lost a job. I'm in the city. I don't even know what I'm going to do. It's an expensive city to just run 
a decent life. What am I going to do? I don't even have a plan for what I'm going to do. It's so easy to do that. But imagine if you spend that hour thinking of a business plan, thinking of the next podcast, thinking of what you're good at and then embracing it. Yeah, I think so. I think like if we need to understand, if we think about the human brain, the makeup of the human brain is wired to create a story. Okay. So, and also it's wired towards negative. Uh, so our brain is wired to protect ourselves, mm-hmm. which means it spends all its time perceiving danger around us. Um. So when something negative does happen, our brain works in a way to try to protect us. But in that process, there is a large focus on the negative, of course, right? Okay. Because that is the threat. The thing that's mm. come to threaten us mm. is is going to consume the mind. Okay. Um, I do think, um, I agree. I, I do think like it is probably more useful to focus on something positive. But I think it's also difficult because there's just always a sense of helplessness that comes with any sort of tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's natural. I think it's also natural for someone to kind of have a certain period of like wallowing in that because your life has changed. Yeah. And now you have to reconfigure. And that takes so much energy and effort. And depending on where you were to begin with before the tragedy, you might have been a negative valley. Yeah. Now then you must. So give us a break, right? Yeah. So let's be, let's be realistic about this in the you know in the world like you you can take some time to wallow and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that i do think though there needs to be a point where someone i think in life there must be a point where you just decide that i'm going to stay alive that i'm going to fight for the life that i want mm-hmm. and when that click happens for you your life moves different and you respond differently to things um, that happened to you. Mm-hmm. You are discouraged, of course. You are hurt, of course. But I think I always say, like, we do not perish. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing is like, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what happens, I've survived some of the things that I thought would kill me. Mm-hmm. And I'm here. And I'm, you know, I'm still here. And it's not by my, it's not by my power. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously a reason why I'm here. Yeah. Which means then, okay, then let's make it work. Yeah. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Um, everything is figureoutable. Mm-hmm. It's like I am, I'm, you know, I've got air in my lungs. I'm still alive. I, I can make things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think the choice of wanting to be alive and I think having the will to fight for your life yeah. is a very key component to surviving and then moving out of the survival mode into living your life and thriving. Um, I think it, I, I, I don't know if there's a, a formula because I, I think to myself, I always used to ask my friends to be like, oh my God, how did you come out of this particular situation? Because I thought watching you, this thing is going to kill you, right? Mm-hmm. And when they would say to me is that they always wanted to know what the next chapter has because surely it's not as bad as it is now. Mm-hmm. It's got to get better, better you yeah. know? Yeah. And I always thought, nah, girl, like, nah, it's burning now. Why do I need to see what's next? What if next is burning too, you know? Um, but for, I guess maybe it's the work that God has done in my heart 
and in the work that I've also intentionally pursued in therapy and in the content that I consume about healing and really restoring some things and releasing some things for myself Mm. that I've now gotten to a point where, because I'm very surprised by how I've responded to my situation. Like I'm very, I'm like, this girl gonna have a nervous breakdown. Y'all just don't know it yet. Like I'm, I'm like, girl, is this you? What's going on? You know? Okay. Um, and it's surprising, right? And mm. I think that's the thing about the journey in life is that you don't realize that you've moved from the last point that you clocked yourself. Yeah. You think you're still there. Like, I think, like, I'm still at the 28-year-old who had to bury her mother, mm. right? Like, yeah. in my mind, I'm like, I don't think I've moved from that point. But okay. here I am now, and I have moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm alive, first of all. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I can't believe that I I experience the fullness of joy mm. and that, like, I want to be alive. Mm. Even on the days where I feel like, what's the point? Okay. I still want to be alive. And that's a very big thing for me is that, like, yeah, it's that, like, that's a very big thing to want to be alive because yeah. I think how you pursue things really, they become, things become different. Yeah. I think you start seeing a lot more opportunities um, in the face of, of adversity, like mm. you start being like, okay, cool, like, you know, and you start meeting not just people but destiny enablers. Yeah. Um, whether it's in people, it's in places, yeah. it's in a, a gadget, it's in um, the like. What I loved though about something you said is that you went through therapy and you're also watchful about your content. Yeah. So. I think those are some of the things that Africans generally don't. Um, I mean, I consumed grief content as well, though. Like I, I, I consumed, um, there's like this page on Instagram. I think it's called Grief Space or whatever. And it talks, it helps you make sense of some things grief related that you wouldn't ordinarily, right? Okay. Um, so like, not to say like, oh my God, I started reading like empowerment books. No. I still faced, I basically faced my pain Mm. and I decided that like something good has to come from this thing. Yeah. Like there's no way that I can suffer to this depth and not have anything good come from it. You know, already a part of myself is is gone Mm. and, but something good has to come. That's really good. And so, so like, it's like facing it. It's face. I faced it. I decided to face the pain, face the journey um, which obviously does make a lot of people uncomfortable because when they see time has passed, for them, they're like, okay, cool, she's good now. Like, mm, you know. Yeah. But when I was dissociating and not actually processing and dealing, it meant that, like, it took me two years to register that my mom had died. Mm, okay. Right? It took me moving out of the apartment mm. complex to be like, oh, okay, cool. She's not actually here because we stayed in the complex that she last mm. was alive in. So it, it took me being active and moving myself out of that situation, out of the triggers that were subconscious triggers, because mm. you can't heal also in the environment that hurt yeah. you. Yeah. And moving out of that meant that like, I got to really recognize how much I was in processing mm. and how much I was still in survival. Okay. So like, yeah. So like, I, I don't want to make it sound like I just went and like started I did a 360 flip. No, no, no. I was very angry for a very long time. And we for, were all like that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You're angry for a very long time and and lost for a very long time. And lost because if you spend a, a certain amount of years 
taking care of somebody, there's a role that you embody mm. and that you become. Yeah. And that's what you get accustomed to being. That's what your identity becomes, then yes. becomes. Yeah, and then you lose a part of that. Yeah, when you lose a part of that, it's like you've lost your identity. Now you don't know what to do with that extra time or yourself even. Yeah. Because it's like, so if I'm not taking care of Mfundo, so what am I doing? Yeah. What's the point? Like, who am I? And, yeah. you know, and if you're not the husband, if I'm not the daughter, like... So there's a there was a lot of identity kind of what like what is this first mm. of all then what am I and then trying to figure that out um and trying to refine my place in the world without this person mm. that for me was just an an integral part right yeah. and even in a way that I never re- like when she was alive I never registered how integral my mother was okay. like cuz you know like how people are like oh they're so close to X, Y, and Z. And like, you think like, oh no, like, like we're cool, we're close, but like not like, we're not besties. Mm. But then when you realize like how integral this person is, when it comes to a point where something happens, you pick up the phone to call them and mm. you're like, oh wait, I can't. I can't, yeah. Right? And it's like, so it's that even registering that, oh my God, this person was so integral to mm. me, to my functioning. Yeah. And I didn't register it yeah. whilst they were here, mm. you know? And now there's this hole that I don't know what to do with. Like the yeah. other day, literally, it's been three years since my mom has died. The other day, mm. I was typing on the phone. I typed in her number and I was like, wait. Okay. I caught myself like, and I was like, wait, hold up. What's going on? Okay. Like it was, and I didn't even think about it. And okay. it was only like after I started seeing the number and I was like, wait, that's, that's, okay. you know. And so that's why it's like, I always feel like it's so lifelong and mm. you do have to have a lot of grace. Yeah with yourself in the journey. Yeah. And you've got to have people around you. And I don't think it's necessary to always have a conversation about it, but I do think talking about it does help. Yeah. Um, journaling about it helps. Yeah. Um, I think for me, even being angry at God helped me. Mm. And I remember this one time, I I think it had been a year at that point, or just over a year, maybe, yeah, just shy of a year, in fact. I was sitting in my friend's house and I was watching Sarah Jakes and, and the sermon and one of the sermon, one of the things she said in that sermon specifically was that you have to be honest with God. You have to tell God that you are angry, that mm. he didn't do this particular thing for you. And for the first time, I think in that whole time, I sat in the bathtub and I cried for the first time because I registered that I couldn't cry about the experience because I was so angry Mm. that God didn't heal my mother. Mm. That like we speak about the miracles and we speak about who God is. And that wasn't true in my situation. And I was like, well, I am angry actually. And the only way I can start being in conversation with you again is if I say this to you and I own that I'm angry Mm. and that what you chose to do and the way that you chose to do it hurt me. Okay. Because if she was going to die anyway, then why didn't you do it six months before, eight months before, mm. before having to watch and experience what we had to go through? Mm. What was the purpose of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and that moment was very powerful for me to even understand that I could be angry at God. Yeah. Because I don't think you're raised to believe that. You're mm. raised to be very... And I even remember a conversation, my mom was still alive. And she was just saying she doesn't blame God. And I said to her, I do. You know, and I just kind of teared up and I was like, I do, mm. you know, and she was like, no, like, you can't blame God. Mm. And 
I remember like in that moment kind of because I'd ended the conversation. But when I, you know, a year later watched the sermon, it released me so much because I wasn't trying to deal with the textbook God. Mm. I was dealing with the God who knows Umali, mm. who knows me, who knows my heart, who knows my journey, mm. who also orchestrated this. Mm. Even if he didn't orchestrate it, he allowed it to come to pass mm. because it's part of my journey, mm. which means I need to own my journey yeah. and own the fact that I am mad and That's I don't know what to do with it. So basically, I think when you own your relationship with God and own your feelings towards God about a certain situation, you're basically creating a way for yourself to move forward and not necessarily kind of playing by somebody else's playbook because mm -hmm. God is very specific to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And your life. And he's intentional about your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that part was also a very necessary part for me to kind of free myself and to move forward in my grief process, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, but I think grief is a journey and I think um, everyone has to do what they need to do to um, move forward. Um, I think faith is a very key part of um, grief. And for those who don't have it, I really just hope that they make use of tools such as like therapy yeah. or something else like, you know, therapy you I hope you have a community that's around yeah. you that can support you that mm. can hold you up um yeah but i think the most important thing is to find that healing and yeah. to get into or get out of survival mode yeah mm. i i also agree with um finding the right tools for you i've discovered with loretta my wife that life becomes better especially during those anxious moments or the very tough way your feelings because we were wired by god this way for yeah. a reason we yeah. have our feelings for a reason yeah but it's important to in your feelings to know your safe spaces mm. whether it's a song whether it's a scripture yeah. whether it's a community friends whatever it is you need to find your default setting to go back to whenever you are getting overwhelmed and sometimes we think that even this this works for even people who get busy with work mm. and all that. People who are workaholics and work can be like a 72-hour non-stop stretch. Mm. We think that we are better by just continuing so that you finish and getting taking time to like take a walk or to read the Bible or to listen to music and do nothing else. It feels like a waste of time. Mm. But that 15 minutes could be what you need. Yes. That phone call with a friend could be what you need. Yes. That scripture could be what you need. You could open the Bible to something that is an answer for whatever headache you've mm. had. So it's important to realize that life is a... There's a need to have... It's like a give and take. Yeah. Sometimes you give to it. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to take. Mm. Sometimes you feel a certain way. Sometimes to get out of those feelings, you need to just break the cycle, short circuit the system for just a bit. Yeah. But sometimes we feel like it's a waste of time to do some of these little things that seemingly are meaningless. Mm. But there's always need for everyone 
to know the equilibrium of your rhythm. You yes. need to know that now I'm going a bit too fast. Let me just jerk Slow the down. system a yes. bit and then I can get back into it again. Gotcha. But once you just experience life just for the sake, mm. you are lost. And the other thing that I wanted to say is it's very important to also not take things personally. Don't take life personally. Don't ever think that um, this is a personal attack on me. Mm. This is really just come for me. This person is just coming for me. Mm. And sometimes, yes, you are losing your wife and it's personal, but why are you taking it so personal? And yet there's someone who's had to lose a kidney for it. Mm. She lost her life for it. So mm. why is it so personal to me? I haven't lost my life. It was her own personal journey. But now if I take it to, so personal that it's stopping me from experiencing yeah. my now, then I stop appreciating that I have a best friend. I have um, a church that's actually looking up to me to sort out the music program mm-hmm. for. But I'm still just stuck in that personal thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. But where am I um, now being a steward of this life that I've been given, this yeah. pain that I've been given? I need to be a steward of my pain. Sure, that's I powerful. need to use my pain. If I was to advertise uh, grief or getting over grief, it's the fact that you can actually shape your pain and use it to make yourself better. Yeah. Why are people not wanting to be better? It's Of course, I understand. I'm also trying to be very compassionate yeah. um, in realizing that it's not always easy to see how your pain can work out for your good. But, Maybe not. I do yeah. think you need a bit more time for that that part to materialize. Um, yeah, I think there's time that definitely is needed for you to be able to materialize and see how how good can come from your pain. Mm. You immediately know. Yeah. No, it's not possible. Um, and nor does anyone who's grieving wanting to hear about yeah, yeah, any of that. You don't want to hear that. Yeah. Um, and it's very fair. It's fair because they're in pain and they want to be allowed to be in pain. Mm-hmm. And, it's just, and they can. And they can be. Yeah. And we should hold space and let yeah. them be in pain. Mm. Um, and let them talk about it as often as they want to. Let them feel what they're feeling, cry about it, all of those things for as often as they need to as they're moving through. And even if it's delayed, what some people consider delayed, because a lot of people shove their pain into a box and then kind of want to move with life, but then pain demands to be felt, like we've yeah. been saying. And what happens in that case is that you'll find that somebody who had an experience of loss three years ago will only start grieving now. Yeah. Um, and even then... Or even 10 years. Exactly. No, <laughs> that's the truth, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here right now saying is that it only really registered for me two years after, yeah. which meant last year was a very big grieving year for me. Okay. You know, last year was a year where I was actually feeling the grief that I hadn't been feeling because I was mm. too busy trying to get through life and do the things I needed to do. Okay. Right. And, you know, and to even be able to have this conversation, mm. right. is like, I know that I've, I've, I've done the, the work of just feeling what I needed to feel and be okay with feeling how I was feeling. Mm. So um, that when it comes up later, it's not yeah. having a, a, a hectic impact. I guess. Yeah, it's not going to destroy my future. It's not going to destroy my now even, mm. you know. It's, it's going to be acknowledged for the weight that it holds. Yeah. You know, because... Which it holds weight. Exactly. Because, <laughs> yeah, the other side is... We are human anyway. Mm. And the human side of it, even if you are 
very headstrong, even yeah. if you're very headstrong, mm. the human side will slow you down anyway. That's true. It will tell you, no, we are still packed here. Exactly. We are still at the cemetery. We are not yet dealing with this. Let's just feel this for now. And in that moment, the more the more you try to fight it, the more it's like just, I'm not going anywhere. So it's important to realize there's a need to know ourselves, yes. to get to a self-awareness yes. that can help you realize where you're at yeah. in each day, in each moment, mm. so that you know how to treat yourself. Yes. It's also important to treat ourselves kindly That's and true. to be patient with ourselves. And to um, once you are able to have that self-awareness, you are able to move yourself into it because that's the other thing with grief you need to learn how to push yourself back into the public domain or public space again because that if you're not ready for it if you're not uh, open to it i know our friends are not ready for it mm. which i totally respect and it's important to to be in that space where you know what you're ready to do and what you're not ready it's to very do. important though it also requires faith the faith that then um is able to push you beyond your limits once you've allowed yourself to feel what you need to feel yeah yeah that's true wow mark <laughs> this has been a very loaded conversation and um i thank you so much for being present and open with me and just Yourself allowing too. us to yeah. have this conversation. Mm. Um, so thank you for being here. And thank you for having me and for sharing and opening yourself up too. I appreciate. Mm. Yeah. 